to add my welcome to you all. Um, my name is Greg Durenberger. I'm also one of the pastors here at Emmaus Road Church. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices to the book of James. <clears throat> We're going to be giving our attention to James chapter 1, particularly to verses 5 through 8. So, I was watching the Paw Patrol with my grandchildren. And for those of you unfamiliar, the, the Paw Patrol is an animated cartoon series that features a group of six rescue dogs. They are a pack of pups named, see if I get these all right, <clears throat> Chase, Everest, Rocky, Rubble, Zuma, Liberty, and somebody help me out here, Sky, Sky. They are little heroes doing big things. Little heroes doing big things. And the aim of the Paw Patrol is to teach kids about problem solving and teamwork. So there's episodes that include Everest rescues Alex and Mr. Porter from the snowstorm. Or the Paw Patrol saves the dinosaurs. Or Rubble saves the kingdom of Barkingburg from a sleep spell. And their motto is, no job is too big and no pup is too small. So as I'm watching this episode, the, I think the episode was called Pups Help the Fish Get Over the Beaver Dam. I find myself thinking that on account of the Paw Patrol, the citizens of Barkingburg Kingdom can count it all joy when they meet trials of various kinds. And that's because if anyone in Barkingburg Kingdom requires help, needs to be rescued, or lacks wisdom, let them call the Paw Patrol and it will be given. <clears throat> what do we need when we meet trials of various kinds? What do we need so that whatever our circumstances we might be lacking in nothing. Now this, I hope this is not disappointing to some of you here, but, but we're not going to turn to the Paw Patrol. We're going to turn to the Bible, to the Word of God, and our text is James 1, verses 5 through 8. So that you hear this, these particular verses in, in really the flow of James' thought, I'm going to start reading with verse 1 again. And so, um, if you're able, please stand and hear God's word from James 1, 1 through 8. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, 
so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is God's perfect and unshakable word. Let's pray. So thankful, God, that you have communicated yourself to us through your word. And we know, Lord, that apart from your powerful presence working among us and in us by your Holy Spirit, this word could just sort of fall off of us like water off a duck's back. So we're looking to you to cause us to hear and to respond, to see, to sense, to know, to take hold of you as you would take hold of us through, through your word. Move among us, work among us, give us all that we need. So Lord, today, that whatever our circumstances may be, we would know that we are lacking, lacking no good thing. Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. <clears throat> so, like the citizens of Barkingburg Kingdom, we meet trials of various kinds. And when we meet trials, we react to those trials. And the way that we react to the trials that we meet reveals something about us. Our reaction to trials we meet reveals what we're trusting. And therefore, trials, according to James chapter 1, verse 3, they're a test. They're a test. Trials are a test that reveal what our hearts are trusting in, relying upon for joy and peace, and really for a quality of life where, there is, where we're lacking in nothing. <laughs> now, one reason the letter of James is so particularly useful to us is that the author is not merely dealing in the realms of the hypothetical. James captures our attention because he addresses the very trials that we meet each and every day. This, this, letter, this letter is where the proverbial rubber meets the road. So when James writes, count it all joy when you, when you and you and you and you and you and all of you meet various trials, he's addressing us. There are friends sitting in this room who are meeting financial trials. How are we going to pay our bills? There are friends in this room meeting vocational trials. They're unemployed or underemployed or misemployed, working dead-end jobs they're only doing because they need a paycheck. There are friends in this room who are face-to-face -face with relational trials where they meet daily Sometimes even in their own home with angry, passive-aggressive, unbridled verbal aggressions. 
There are friends sitting next to you confronted daily with physical trials. And I'm not just referring to the cold and flu season, which certainly does test the joy of our faith. I'm talking about chronic illness, pain, brain fog, infertility, heart disease, degenerative osteoarthritis, and then compounded with those trials are emotional trials. There are friends here who meet daily, meet up daily with sadness and unspeakable grief and anxiety and jealousy and dissatisfaction. And then, and then there are spiritual trials overwhelming temptations and the consequences of moral compromise and spiritual backsliding and shallow, perhaps even false conversions. It's all, it's all here. It's all here. James throws it all down. And, and with all due love and affection for the children in this room, the, listen, the powers of the Paw Patrol are of no help. So what do God's people need to produce godly virtue? That is joy and peace and soul satisfaction in the face of unwanted, unplanned for, and Sometimes unbearable trials. James' answer? Wisdom. Wisdom from God. And that's because wisdom is a gift from God for the joy of the people of God in every circumstance. Wisdom is a gift from God for the joy of the people of God in every circumstance. Now, the purpose of my outline is to draw your attention to the nature of this wisdom. That is, the kind of wisdom that James is talking about. Secondly, the assurance of wisdom. And thirdly, our access to such wisdom. So, wisdom in its nature Wisdom and its assurance and wisdom and its access. So first, what is it? What is the nature of the wisdom that James is talking about? Specifically what James is talking about. Because if we slow down and we read this letter carefully and in its entirety, a rather profound definition appears. First of all, James tells us that Wisdom, this wisdom, is a gift from God. James 1.5 Any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and it will be given him. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. So, the wisdom that James has in mind is, it's, more, it's, it's much more than the wisdom of the world. It's much more than wisdom gained through experience, getting old, 
crashing and burning a bunch of times. It it is way more than wisdom that is discovered through some academic study of the great minds and intellectuals. The wisdom that James is talking about is from above, coming from God himself. And further, this wisdom that proceeds from above as a gift from God to God's people, this wisdom, it, it functions it works, it gets things done. It, it specifically, it produces certain virtues. According to James chapter 3, verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial. And sincere. So, so wisdom, <clears throat> according to James, it, it, it functions in a Christian's life by, by generating fruits, divine fruits that become evident. These fruits become evident in the face of trials. Trials are necessary because. Otherwise, these fruits would not appear. There would be no occasion. The wisdom, this wisdom produces virtues that actually stand up under fire. This kind of wisdom, it has nothing to do with our own nature or nurture. It is something we are incapable of in and of ourselves apart from the active presence and power of God. This wisdom, wisdom that produces joy and peace and soul satisfaction in the face of soul-crushing trials, well, it is a result of a heart made new. It's important, listen. This wisdom has its source. It it draws its life and effect from union with God through Jesus Christ. I want you to notice again how James identifies himself in verse 1. Looked at this a couple weeks ago. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James does not see himself as a free agent. He sees himself as a servant. He belongs to another. He draws his entire sense of identity from his relationship with God. He's God's servant. He's he's not his own master. He is, to use the other translation of that particular word, James is God's Slave. Now that's a, that's a word <laughs> we're not all that comfortable with, right? That, 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 the word slave, it's so unsettling, it's so provocative to people in our day and age. There's, there's such a strong aversion even to the notion of slavery that our impulse is to bristle and recoil. But, the, but the, here it is, the, the worldview of a, of a servant or a, or a slave. It just doesn't resonate with our spirit of 
rugged individualism. It doesn't just doesn't line up with our cultural virtues of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. The, the notion of being owned by another, it's, just, it's just simply inconceivable to us. But, you know, James doesn't pull back on this at all. That, that's because for James, for James, belonging to God is the greatest gift in the world. I belong to God. He made me his own. I am entirely his. No compartmentalization in James's relationship with God. He's not a part-time Christian. He's not a Christian with these silos. You know, some some where he gives access to God and others where he keeps them to himself. That's just not the way it is for slaves. They depend on their owner for everything. (laughs) So the framework James is operating from is is that God owns him. God is over him. God is James' master. God is James' sovereign king. And God's sovereignty over James extends to absolutely everything. Which, by the way, I believe is inferred in the very next phrase James 1 1, second half of the verse, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So, how did these tribes get dispersed? How did those Jewish believers get scattered? What was the ultimate cause? Listen, there, there, is no, there was no Jew with any familiarity with their history, who would have understood their experience of dispersion as anything other than God's doing. God did it. Now, can the same be said for us? Non-Jews? Speaking to Gentiles, the Apostle Paul says in Acts 17.24, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. It's in him that we move and live. It's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. So you see, loved ones, the the ultimate cause of our living Now, in the 21st century, as opposed to some other century, is God. The the ultimate cause of our living in Sioux Falls, South Dakota versus Sudan or Sumatra, is God. And James gets this because because James is wise. That's why. And, And he writes... In James chapter 4, verse 14, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. Or do this. Or do that. Or move here. Or move there. Or whatever. If the Lord wills. So, So who is Lord over your vocation? 
or location. Who is Lord over your body and your mind and your soul? How do you perceive it? What's your framework from which you draw your your functional identity? Who is it that holds your life and your doing and your being and, and the trials that you meet? How you answer that's really significant because according to James, the wisdom that produces the kind of joy and peace and soul satisfaction that is lacking in nothing. That, that wisdom rises from union with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's where it all begins. So now the second point. <clears throat> the assurance of wisdom. So for James, there is an unwavering assurance that God will supply all that he needs to meet every circumstance. And this assurance rises, on the one hand, from his confidence that he belongs to God, it it rises on the other hand because because of who God is. And there's, I believe, a logical connection between the two. James belongs to God. And and who is this God to whom James belongs? What's what's he like? Look again at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. James sets forth God's character here. You know, with a, it has a, a three, threefold emphasis. See it? The, the God James is joined to is the God who, first of all, gives. Or, if you were to observe the, the, the grammar in the original language, he is the giving God. <laughs> He's the giving God. That's who he is. Not just a God who gives, he's the giving God. And then James adds a second phrase. God gives, gives generously to all. And that, that word generously may also be translated sincerity or single-heartedness. So in other words, God not only gives, He not only gives generously, He gives genuinely. God gives not only with an open hand, but with a full heart. He doesn't hold back. There's no, there's no other God like this God who is so ready and so eager to add blessings to former blessings without any end or limitation. And then James adds yet another phrase. God gives without reproach. And and in the context here, I believe that that means that, that God does not give 
according to our worthiness or because we deserve it or because we've somehow fulfilled our end of the contract. God gives because we belong to him. And we belong to him by grace alone, through faith alone, in all that has been done to remove our guilt and sin and brokenness and separation from God by Christ alone. We belong to God because God, through Christ, has made us his own. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom. Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And such is the assurance of the people of God. Together with James, we can say, I have access to all I need in any circumstance and any trial I meet because I belong to God through Christ. I belong to God through Christ who died a bloody death on a cross at Calvary for me. I was bought with the price of his own blood and through Christ, God. God, the giving God. The, the wholehearted, generous God. Made me his own. My life is in his hands. I'm his servant. I'm his slave. And all that I have and all that I need and all that I want, including wisdom, for any circumstance, is from him. It's because of him. All he is including wisdom, is mine. Third, our access, our access to, to such wisdom. <laughs> Having described the, the willing father, says one commentary. <laughs> Having described the willing father, James turns to the other side of the transaction, The waiting child. So again, look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and it will be given him. But, verse 6, let him ask. Let him ask. Notice James doesn't say, if he asks. (laughs) He says, let him ask. So, by his death, Jesus bought the right for every Christian to have instant, constant access to the heart of God and to his throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who passes has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Verse 18, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Help 
to meet our various trials. So, so you see, loved ones, the, the, the way to wisdom is open. The, the devil, <laughs> whom we do believe in, cannot prevent God answering a request for wisdom. That is, the wisdom to respond rightly to the trials that we meet. He can't, he, he can't stop God from doing that. And so instead, what the devil does, he, he, he just pours it all out to prevent us from asking. And he often does so. He does, he's effective in preventing us from asking. Not just because of our, our framework, like... You know, I'm, I, I don't belong to somebody else. I'm not, I'm not such a wimp. I'm not such a dependent person. I mean, all that's going on. But, but oftentimes, he, he, he takes a truth and, and turns it, twists it, tangles it, misuses it. That, namely, the truth that we are not worthy to ask. You know, that, that, that's actually true. <laughs> that's actually true. It, but, you see, if, if we were only entitled to access to God and his wisdom when we were worthy to do so, when, when we could bring to God some standard of obedience and holiness that entitled us to receive the wisdom that we asked for, well, then we'd never be able to ask. And the devil knows that full well. And often... Too often, he drags us into thinking along lines like, well, you know, what's the use? What's the use of praying? I'm such a hypocrite. I'm such a loser. Drifted so far from God. How could I ask the Lord for anything? Shoot, that means the reason that I'm running into so many trials is more than likely because God is so offended by me. You know, I, I am not the type who is persuaded there's a demon under every bush. But I can tell you this, that, that kind of thinking, that kind of thinking is nothing less than the devil's device. And he's working you and me big time. But, but here's the point. Prayer must happen. Prayer must be a fact. God has promised access to the wisdom that we need to meet every trial if we ask. So, so just think of that. I mean, there is, there is actual wisdom from God to discern the next right thing to do when I meet that financial trial or meet that vocational trial or meet that relational trial or meet that physical trial or that emotional trial or that spiritual trial. What's the next right thing to do? Ask God. Ask God. And because you belong to God, you will receive nothing less than what you need 
to do what he has called you to do. You'll lack nothing. You'll lack nothing that you need to know soul satisfaction, whatever the circumstance may be. But you must ask. Prayer must be a fact. And second, prayer must be in faith. Prayer must be in faith. You know, James chapter 1 verses 6 through 8, it, um, you know, it just, it's a challenge. It's, it's a kind of a, it's sort of a head scratcher um, because James just says in verse 5 that God gives generously to all, to all, without reproach. But then in verses 6 through 8, he writes, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. My first thought is, what happened to God's generosity to all? It sounds rather discriminating. Sounds like reproach, like a scolding. (laughs) Ask with no doubting? I mean, is that even like possible? Is it possible to be doubt-free? And and what is what does James mean by double-minded? Loved ones, listen, listen carefully. God's God's reproach, God's reproach is not for weak faith. If your faith is weak, God does not charge you with double-mindedness. If your faith is weak, God does not condemn you. If your faith is weak, listen, God invites you to ask him for help. So ask him for wisdom. Ask him for sustaining grace. And if you don't feel like asking, well then ask him to help you to ask him anyway. And if you don't care that you don't feel like asking, well then ask him to cause you to care that you don't care. (laughs) You see, if all there is is like this little mustard seed of faith, it pleases God that you would turn to him and ask him for help in your day or your month or your season of trouble or compounded trouble. So here's what, here's what double-mindedness means, I believe. And, and in the context, in the context of James chapter 1, double-minded means that you have not yet resolved the issue of your ownership. In other words, the double-minded man is the one who serves himself 
He's a servant of himself. Slave of his own desires. He's his own master. He's his own Lord. He's ruled by his own desires. And his one ambition is himself. It should be obvious that that if the wisdom that we need to meet trials is only accessible from God through Christ, well then, this same wisdom is something that an unconverted, unregenerate person never has. And and when when such a double-minded person meets trials of various kinds, trials that he discovers that he or she does not possess the wisdom to control or to fix or to figure out or make go away, well then, he or, or she is, they're like a wave. A wave of the sea. Driven. Tossed. By the wind. Friends, are you a wave? Are you a wave or a slave? Purchased, owned, led, governed. Belonging to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a wave. Maybe you're a wave. But listen, there is still grace offered to you in this text. Repent of your self-reliance. Repent of your attempt at self-salvation. And turn to God through Christ and ask Him to save you. To forgive you of your sins. To make you his own. Entrust yourself to this promise. Acts 2.21 Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's hope for you. If you're a wave. Now maybe right now you're, you're, you're a little anxious, fearful that maybe you are a wave. Maybe you're not. What if I'm a wave? Turn to God through Christ and ask Him to assure you. To trust trust Him, trust His promises like James 1.5. Ask God and it will be given you. Or Matthew 7.7. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. James is, he is probing our hearts. <laughs> Do we even recognize our lack of wisdom? Are we... We're just so used to living in reliance upon our own wits. Are we willing to submit to God's purposes for our lives? Do we pray? Is is our faith grounded in the promises that God has made? Friends, whatever the trial we meet today, under God, through Christ, we confess, we confess, I am not my own but belong, 
body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope. He is our hope in life and in death. Let's pray. What an astonishing thing it is to know that there is there's a there's a throne there's a place there's a source there's a river it's just overflowing with grace grace upon grace the people of God to experience the wisdom of God no matter what it is no matter what it is that we face and not only is there such a place, such a throne such a river, such a, a source but we have full access to it because Jesus, the Christ, died on a cross and took on the judgment of God that we deserve for our sins so that we would have un, uninhibited, unbroken, total access to such grace. <laughs> what a gift! What a gift, oh Lord. What a gift you have given. And so now, Lord, we, we just want to celebrate that and express our joy in that and our hope in that. I pray that, Lord, for, for every heart and soul in this room that, that you might encourage, encourage each one to entrust themselves to your promises. If any of you, in whatever your circumstance, just you need peace and joy and soul satisfaction in all that God is for you. Let him ask. Let him ask. And it will be given. <laughs>